things that matter should matter all the time, not just in a crisis or not just when it's a holiday that tells you to let things matter. And, and my challenge to us as we open up our Bible here in just a minute is that we would never get forgetful and neglectful to remind ourselves of all that God has done for us. It's really easy to go through life, remember the things of yesterday, and oh, God was faithful then, and just get kind of out of sight, out of mind. But I want to show you as we open up God's word that, that, that bad things can actually happen if we forget to remember, if we forget to put God first. Have you ever noticed that there's kind of a correlation between stress levels and prayer levels, that it goes up and to the right? Like, we don't pray very much when things are going okay. We kind of forget that God is there. We're enjoying the perks of following God and living a blessed life. And all of a sudden, something happens. The rug gets pulled out from under us, and all of a sudden, we're prayer warriors again. Like, I don't think it has to look like that. I think we should be remembering and being grateful for all that God has done, not just on Thanksgiving and not just when we've got a disaster on our hands, but consistently reflect and contemplate the goodness of our Lord you got a scripture, you got a Bible, we're going to open up to a place in the scriptures called 2 Chronicles, chapter 16. It's kind of a history book of the nation of Israel and the ups and downs of their leaders and their kings. So if you don't have a Bible, no problem, it'll be up on the screens. Before we read it, I want to give you just a little bit of a backdrop of what's happening in history. Because when you just kind of read a few verses, it's really easy to take it out of context. We're studying today a young king named Asa. He was a good king. He was a godly king. What nation was Asa king over? Well, God's chosen people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were 12 tribes from thousands of years ago. They were placed in slavery in the land of Egypt. God raised up a leader named Moses to get them out of Egypt, to set them free, and eventually guide them, millions of people, into the promised land. So they end up finding their way into the promised land, and they look at all the neighboring countries and nations and kingdoms, and they're like, God, give us a king. And God didn't really want them to have a king because God knew what would happen when power could corrupt the hearts of men. But God gave them what, he, what they wanted, and they got a king, King Saul. Didn't go very well with their first king. Their second king was a young man named David, the same David who destroyed the giant with a slingshot. He was a good king. So God reestablished his covenant with King David and said, your dynasty, your name, your house will live on forever. And what he was doing was foreshadowing Jesus. Because if you study the genealogy of Jesus and his heavenly parents, they were born of the house of Judah, which is one of the 12 tribes that David was king of. So if you go, Father, Son, Father, Son, Father, Son, you're going to see all the way to the earthly father, Joseph, and his wife, Mary, who would give birth to Jesus. This is how God would establish David's line forever. So David has a son named Solomon who has a son named Rehoboam, and civil war breaks out. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom divide in two. It's no longer the 12 tribes of Israel as one nation. It's the northern ten and the southern two. The northern ten, they kept the name Israel, and the southern two were just the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. Judah was about twice the size of Benjamin, so they went by the name Judah. And these were the sons and, and fathers and sons, direct descendants of David who Jesus would eventually himself be born into. And King Asa was in that lineage, and he would receive the leadership and the crown of the southern kingdom. He would do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Almost always, the dynasty to the north turned to the false gods of the neighboring nations, the pantheon of gods, and, and would do crazy things, human sacrifices, child sacrifices. And what you see is 
things didn't go very well for the northern kingdom. They were always at war. Now, not all of the southern kings were good. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Asa's father was not a good king. He looked to the same gods as Mesopotamia and the surrounding nations. And God ended up taking him out. Asa becomes king and decides to, to handle business and do things God's way and lead his people of Judah and Benjamin to worship the one true God. And because of his obedience, God's hand was on the nation of Judah. And the southern kingdom was growing in trade and commerce and, and flourishing in their agriculture. There was a sense of abundance. And they were flourishing so well that the neighboring countries didn't like it. And when he was just a decade into his reign, a group of Ethiopians got together with some Libyans and formed an army of over a million to come against Asa. Because Asa, as a young king, believed that God is who he says he is and does what he says he's going to do and turned to God. And God delivered them. Not only were they able to stand their ground. Now, get this. A million Ethiopians and Libyans in an army coming against you. It's like the city of Atlanta versus Dawson County. <laughs> Not looking too good. But instead of forming political alliances and, and compromising is their beliefs and then praying to the other nation's gods, he stood his ground. He prayed. He had less than 500,000 soldiers himself. But they stood their ground and sent the other army running, scared, tracked them down, plundered their camps, came back richer than they even began. So God had showed himself to be faithful to King Asa. And you can expect that kind of faithfulness out of God when we are faithful to him. He honors obedience with blessing. And again, about 20 years later, about 30 years into King Asa's reign, the northern king, his name is Baasha. He's over the northern kingdom. He doesn't like how well things are going to the southern kingdom. So he decides to create up a siege, a blockade wall to the north, blocking their trade route to prevent them from getting the resources they need to feed their people. And all of a sudden, Asa has a choice. Are you going to remember what God has done? And seek him and his help and place your hope in him? Or are you going to look to political alliances? And sure enough, in a moment of frenzy and fright, Asa decides to strike a treaty with the king of Aram, a pagan god. And part of his negotiating chips is to take money from the temple that the people had given as tithes and offerings, silver and gold, to negotiate some sort of peace. And he says, hey, if you help me come against the northern king, we'll, we'll do this together, right? This is where we find King Asa. In a moment of desperation, one of the prophets comes to him with an admonition, with a challenge, and saying, bro, you missed it. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. So Asa has a prophet named Hanani, and he says, dude, you missed it. Now everything that you hope for is going to be just out of reach because you looked to men for help instead of God. And then he says, let's go down memory lane in verse 8. We're not the Cushites, those are the Ethiopians, the Cushites and the Libyans, a mighty army with a great number of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. He's saying it was only 20 years ago. It was only 20 years ago. When God did unexplainable, miraculous things, have you already forgotten the faithfulness of God? And then he issues him this challenge. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
You've done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. In the last decade of Asa's rule and reign as king, Judah was faithful, faced with political problems, battles, and war. And Asa, instead of repenting, he hardened his heart and wouldn't ask God for help. And eventually what ended up killing Asa was a case of gout. He died from a foot disease just because he wouldn't ask God for help. Now, this doesn't have to be your story, because what I know is in a room this size, we're facing some threats, we're facing some inconveniences, and we get to determine today how we're going to respond in the face of fear, how we're going to respond in a vulnerable moment, in a scary moment, in a stressful moment. Our response to these things is is a great indicator to the substance of our faith, and I think we're going to realize that there's a way that we can respond that makes verse 9 true, that brings about the eyes of the Lord, searching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to break this down. Hopefully learn something today. God, would you speak to us? Let your word do what only it can do. Give us a direct connection to you. We are listening. We want to experience life change today. We want to trust you deeper. We want to know you better. We want to walk away stronger because of you. In your name, Lord, amen. So I really believe that God wanted to do something miraculous again. I really believe that the eyes of the Lord are looking for people whose hearts are loyal. I really believe the the Lord is searching the earth, searching Dawson County, searching your neighborhood, searching your home, searching your family to see whose heart is fully committed. Because when we are fully committed to God, when we are loyal to God, when we put God first, he honors that kind of trust and obedience and hope with help and strength. And here's kind of the strange correlation between hope and help. You see, Asa missed an opportunity to place his hope in God, so he didn't get his help from God. Asa chose, despite overwhelming evidence of God's faithfulness, in a moment of spiritual amnesia, in a moment of fear and fright, chose to place his hope in the king of Aram and made some moral compromises along the way, took the sacred money that his people had given to the priest to handle the business of the church and, 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 and to offer sacrifices, took their tithes and their offerings and used it in bargaining chips. And because he put his hope in men, he had to settle for the help of men. And Hanani, the prophet, was saying, you missed an opportunity to place your hope in God and to not be forgetful of who he is and what he's done. Uh, and so here's what I've learned in my life is that where you place your hope is where you find your help. What you're looking to as sources of security and stability That's where you can expect the help. But just beware. The help of things and stuff and status and pleasure all run dry eventually. There is only one source that is never depleted. There is only one source of hope and help that is unlimited in its potential to help you discover a breakthrough. And that source of help is our God who's made himself accessible to us through his son, Jesus. And it's a lot more than just saying, forgive me, and then getting into heaven 
on the other side of eternity. No, this faith that we place in the Lord is supposed to have utility for us today. It's supposed to have function for us today. Your salvation is not just to escape hell. Your salvation is to escape yourself. Your salvation is to live better today. Your salvation is to have a sense of abundance and strength and confidence, not in your accomplishments, not in your net worth, not in your reputation and your resources, but who God is and what he's done. Child of God, you're supposed to walk with confidence, not cockiness. Cockiness is rooted in me. Confidence is rooted in him. In his eyes, his heart's desire is to look at those who are struggling, to look at those who are living in something fearful, and to display his might and display his power in your life. And the things that you look to, the sources of hope and security, are limited in their ability ability and availability to provide help. That doesn't mean they're bad things. I'm a believer in planning for retirement. I'm a believer in having an emergency fund. I'm Dave Ramsey all day long, baby. It's not bad to have contingency plans. That's wise. But to do these first as your first line of defense, as your first response, is ignoring the fact that there is a God in heaven with unlimited resources who wants to strengthen. So there's a lot of things in your life that we're looking to for hope and help, and they're not bad things. They're not evil things. It wasn't evil for Asa to look to the help of a neighboring territory and country. There could be a chance that if Asa would have prayed first, God would have said, I got you. I've got one of your countries that is friendly toward you, and he likes you better than the king of the north, so I've got a plan. But because Asa took matters into his own hands, God could not bless it. But I think we kind of evaluate where we place our hope sometimes based on, well, it's not so bad. And I want you to know you can't call something good just because it's not bad. What Asa did was not evil, was not rebellious, was not morally wrong to think, who could help me here? He was settling for not bad when he could have settled and accepted the help of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and that's ancient Hebrew talk for saying he's rich, he's loaded, he's got you covered. See, when we, when we settle for what's not bad, that's the same kind of response that when, like, you know you need to go see a doctor, but you're like, it's not so bad, I can... I'll see the chiropractor later. Like, God doesn't want you to live a life where you're tolerating the inconveniences. God wants you to live a life of victory. God wants you to live a life of strength and accomplishment through him. That doesn't mean there won't be struggles. That doesn't mean there won't be trouble. That doesn't mean you won't get a diagnosis that blows you away and you have no idea how you're ever going to afford the treatment for it. That doesn't mean you won't battle crippling mental illness. Life happens, but in those moments of trouble, we get to ask ourselves, is faith or fear my first response? Is faith or fear my first response to the trouble that I'm facing? Because just maybe, this all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time God knows what you're up against and has allowed this moment of weakness to test our faith to see if we really believe 
He is who he says he is. To see if we're going to succumb to spiritual amnesia like King Asa and forget the faithfulness of God. See, God wants to do something significant in your life. He wants to strengthen you. But keep in mind, strength only has value in times of weakness. You go to a gym and you expect people to be strong. You go to CrossFit, you expect people to be lifting hundreds of pounds. It's in everyday life. When the rug gets pulled out from under you, that all of a sudden strength really matters. Spiritual strength, mental strength, emotional strength. In verse 9, when it says he's seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully loyal to him, he, the, the word picture there is, is, is a firmness, a sturdiness, something that's robust. Your faith is supposed to be sturdy, like a tree with deep roots that doesn't bend when the wind blows and the rain falls. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants to give you. Kind of a funny little note. This was written in the Hebrew language. And our English language is very simplistic compared to ancient Hebrew and Greek, which is what most of the Old Testament was written in, was Hebrew. So like we say, I love my wife, I love my car. Those two words mean very different things in those two sentences, right? Like I'm going to give my life for my wife, but my car's got transmission, maybe I'll sell that thing, you know, like. Very different loves. But I want you to know what he's saying here when he says he, he, he wants to give, he wanted to deliver them into your hands. Remember the prophet said, remember when God delivered them into your hands? The Hebrew word for that is Nathan, actually. Seriously, look it up. My name, Nathan, means a gift from God. And it literally means a delivery. Like Amazon Prime, where you ask and you receive. Next day, God has Nathaned something for you here today. I don't know. He's going to humble me here in a minute. But it's pretty fascinating. God wants to deliver something to you. He's got it packaged and ready with your name and your address on it. But he's a gentleman. He will not force his help on us. He gives us the dignity of choice and free will. And he will let us settle for the help in the wrong places that we place our hope. And again, they're not always bad things. This isn't necessarily a talk about the sinful, rebellious things we do. That might be something you struggle with. And I've got a word for that here in a minute. But I think the most of us, where the enemy comes in and tempts us to turn our backs on God is not bad things, it's just not good things, not God things. And what I've learned, like Asa, when we look for help, horizontally, from stuff, from status, from reputations, from our network, from our own connections. When we rely on hope and help from physical things, we're missing out on these vertical, spiritual things that can only come from placing our hope in Jesus. It's like showing up with a knife to a gunfight. Many of us, because of where we are looking to for help, are showing up ill-equipped for the task at hand. Because when we rely on physical power, it, it robs us from receiving spiritual power. Let's put the spiritual world first. Let's be people that believe in what God could do, what God might be up to. Let's interpret these difficulties as an opportunity for God to show off. Let's stop showing up with the wrong tools, with rusty tools, with a tank of gas running on fumes. 
mind. This may surprise you when I tell you this story, but I'm not much of a fighter. <laughs> I never got in a whole bunch of fist fights growing up, never really had to, like, confront bad guys. I know you look at me and you think, man, I thought you were like a mixed martial artist or something. I get that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I was in band and drama in high school, like top of the cool totem pole, let me tell you. In college, we wasted a lot of time playing this video game called Halo. And we had this uh, one friend who was unbelievable at it. He was one of those guys who was just good at everything. He was like the one athletic guy that kind of hung out with all of us music, music nerds. And this dude, his waist, I mean, his, uh, his like thighs were like as big as my waist. Like he could squat cars. I remember seeing him on the football field in high school pick up people and throw them like they were footballs. And I always felt really good because he was on my side. You know, like this was my guy. But he had this like Hulk gene that sometimes would get set off if he lost his temper. One time, my little brother beat, beat him in Halo. Starts making fun of him, teasing him, and all of a sudden, he loses it. And in the blink of an eye, I realize, my little brother is about to die. I've got to do something. So I looked around in a split second to see what I could do to help him, and I grabbed an Xbox controller, and I threw it at my buddy. Did nothing. It was like a nap. And all of a sudden, he turns around and looks at me like this raging bull and starts charging. And I'm like, coming for to carry me on. Coming to meet you, Jesus. He spears me, lifts me up, and drops me right on my head. You know, I showed up to a fist fight with a man who can lift people with an Xbox controller. <laughs> where I placed my hope is where I found my help. And I think a lot of us are showing up to some pretty big issues, some pretty weak moments, some frustrating things, and we've got an Xbox controller, but the Hulk is coming against you. I, I don't know what it is in your life, but I know in a room this size, we've got some baggage, we've got some stuff that we're dealing with, and if we're not careful, we can forget all that God has done in the, in, in the face of something that scares us. If we're not careful, we can get diagnosed with spiritual amnesia and neglect to press the pause button. Well, where is God in this? What could he be trying to speak to me? What could he be trying to teach me through this? What could he be trying to do in my life? There are some practical things that I think we can do in the face of the struggle that bring about God's hand in our life. There's some practical things that we can do that cause us to always have a reference point that a miracle could happen because he's done it before and he could do it again. I really rely on my iPhone to get around town when I'm going like down in the city. It's crazy, right? You gotta use your GPS to guide you around, but I've got this little dash mount phone holder that's got this suction cup and every few months that suction cup kind of loses its adhesive properties and so you've got to take it off before it falls off and take like a wet rag or a wet paper towel and kind of clean it and it gets that stickiness again but man I think that happens so often with us when it comes to the things of our faith and the things of God is those miraculous moments in the past lose their sticky properties and it doesn't really hold like it used to there's sometimes we have to just stop 
and bring back the stickiness to the things of God and what he's done before. We've got to remind ourselves of who he is and what he's capable of. The eyes of the Lord are, are searching, they're roaming the earth, roaming this room, searching your heart to see in this moment, are you going to respond in a way that indicates loyalty and commitment and trust in him? When he sees that trust, when he sees that hope, he promises his help, he promises his strength. So what should our responses look like? Out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, our actions are indicators of our beliefs. So let's take a look at the way we're responding to the troubles. And it gives us a reference point of maybe some things that need to be recalibrated that can warrant God's hand of blessing on our life. I wrote down here in my notes, if you're dealing with hurt, I'm talking about betrayal. You've been lied about. Maybe something as simple as mean comments or emojis on social media. But something that's hurt you, something that felt personal, there's a response that can bring healing. And it's to love your enemy, to bless those who curse you. Because when we choose to forgive those who harm us, we're actually displaying that we trust that God is the scorekeeper. And he's going to do a much better job of bringing about a sense of justice and closure on that betrayal. And the truth is, it's only a short matter of time until... I'm going to be the one that needs to be asking forgiveness, not just giving forgiveness, right? So to the degree that I have been forgiven, I must also forgive those who have hurt me. Now, I do want to say, if you were in an abusive situation, forgiveness and trust are not always synonymous. People may not deserve your trust, but because they're a child of God, they deserve your forgiveness. Because you've been forgiven, they deserve your forgiveness. They will earn your trust back in time, maybe. But release them. Release them from your bitterness. Entrust their consequences into God. And you will see the strength of God come and bring hope and healing into your hurt. There's many of us here who don't have clarity about a big decision. What should I do? Should I take the job? Should we move? Should we switch schools? And you can have a sense of worry or anxiety about next steps. I'm just naive enough to believe that all of life's problems find some kind of an answer here. This is the word of God. He's spoken. We may not always be listening or opening it up, but he has spoken. And in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, it says the word of God will not go forth without accomplishing its purpose. It will not return void. We'll never waste a letter of a word of a sentence of a chapter on a page when you look to this book for guidance. Let's spend more time in the scripture than we do on Google. Let's show God that we're looking to him for guidance. It doesn't mean the anxiety and the worry and about all the hypotheticals and all the things you can't control, they're going to remain outside of your control. But what you can control is where you're looking to for guidance. What you can control is your perspective. What you can control is your attitude about the things you can't control. And that stuff is all found here this word. There are some of us that are struggling with sin. I mean, let's just be honest. We talk ourselves into some pretty dumb things. 
nobody's looking. Stuff that we could never talk our best friend into. And there might be some unconfessed sin in your life. And God can't bless disobedience. And what I want to challenge you is there is a response that brings strength, even in a moment of rebellion. There is a response that brings a sense of reconciliation between you and the Holy Spirit. And when you are facing temptation, I want to remind you of a verse in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, no temptation has seized you that you can't overcome, that God doesn't provide a way out of. That verse gets wrongly quoted a lot and says, God's not a, never going to give you something you can't handle. That's not what he's talking about. God will absolutely allow things to happen in your life that you can't handle because he wants to see if you will turn to him or not. But when it comes to temptation and sin and doing the wrong thing, there's no temptation that is beyond our ability to say no to. The God first, the God loyal, the fully committed response is to run. Run. It says don't even have the appearance of evil. Get yourself out of the situation where temptation is even a reality. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't give the enemy a reason to force you outside. God's protection. He's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. And what's going to happen is the more you say no to sin, the more you say no to temptation, the more you say yes to God, the less of a gravitational pull that temptation is going to have on you. It's just the way things work. Replace the good. Replace the bad with the good. Replace the sin with the obedience just about saying no to sin, it's about saying yes to the things of God. See, there's something that we can do in every situation we face that would bring about God's blessing, God's strength. He eagerly wants to show off in your life. It's my belief that it's in these moments of pain and suffering and struggle that the greatest evidence for God is submitted to the court of public opinion. It's in these moments of difficulty that people look at the response of Christians to see if there's any validity to this Jesus way of living. So let's look at the struggle through that lens of what God might do. What God is wanting to accomplish. How his power and his strength could be made perfect and be made visible to the onlookers in my life. Despite and through my weakness. His presence, His eyes searching your life right now, urging you to turn over that new leaf to say, yes, I trust you. Yes, I remember you. I'm not only going to remember you when things get bad. I'm going to remember you when things are good. I'm going to keep the things of God in front of me. I'm going to be more consistent in my prayers. I'm going to be more consistent in my study. I'm going to lean on you. And I'm going to celebrate you when things are good. And I'm going to celebrate you proactively, preemptively when things are are searching. He wants to do something in your life. Where we place our hope is where we find our help. If you're tired of settling for the help of mere mortal human things, today is the day to recalibrate, to find deeper levels of obedience, deeper levels of trust and reliance upon Him. The ball's in your court. What will you do today that shows you've not forgotten who God is and what He's done 
Let me pray for you. Then the band's going to lead us in one last song. God, I thank you so much for our church. Thank you so much for stories like this. Lord, scripture is full of real life examples, and I pray that we don't get overwhelmed when we study, and we may not know all the history and everything, Lord, but we can look at moments like this with real humans that struggled with real fears. And I pray that we would take note of our response to fear that would bring about your strength, your hope, and your healing in our lives. And I thank you in advance for the prayers that are going to get answered, for the faiths that are going to be renewed as we choose you, as we remember you, as we reflect on you today. It's in your name we pray.